0: You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Making Change. Making Change is the series we're in talking about God's wisdom for our finances because this is an area that all of us need some wisdom in from time to time. Right? We've all made some dumb decisions. We've all kind of had, hard, you know, this is the one area we stress about more than others. And so we're asking God's word, what do, you, what do you say about money? So just shout it out. We're going to fill in the blanks of where we've been. If this is your first week with us and, and you've missed all these, that's, that's fine. There's still time to go online and catch up with us. But just just shout out this, these things. They're on the screen, okay, if you missed it, okay. Week one, we learned that less is more. Oh, you guys are way better than first service. All right. Oh, that was recorded. Hi, first service. Okay. Week two. (laughs) Sorry. Week two. Week two. Stresses. And then week three, which was actually two weeks ago, we talked about why giving is good. Look at, you guys are good. You guys are good. That's awesome. Um, Kind of the overarching thought of the series, though, right, is if, if we want tomorrow to be different, we have to make change today. Like, like, things don't get magically better on their own. You can't hope or wish your way to a better financial future. Like, that's just not how it works. And I've been really encouraged. So many of you have messaged me or emailed me and said, Pastor Mike, I'm doing it. We did the challenge this week. You know, we got rid of stuff or we paid down debt or, you know, what? We, we um, our, ad, our administrator tells me many of you signed up for the first time to give online and do all that. Like, it's, it's been awesome. So, like, first off, before I say anything else, let me just say, like, way to go. Um, way, to, way to just dig in. But today, we are going to finish things out. Some of you are super excited to see this series finish. So uh, (laughs) here we go. And I want to talk about why tomorrow matters. All right, tomorrow matters. And that's, again, kind of like stress is bad. Uh, Tomorrow matters seems like a duh. Like, we know that. But do we? When it comes to how we you know, regulate our finances and, and, and kind of organize our lives. Do we really believe that tomorrow matters? Because the thing is, you and I, all of us in this room, we have been trained. I would say we have been discipled by a culture of instant gratification where it's like, what do I want and how fast can I get it, right? So you think about our, our communication, like you send someone a text message. We expect a response pretty quickly, right? As the day drags on, if it gets to the next day, this happened to me yesterday. I I sent our vice chair of our board a text and he didn't respond in a couple hours. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. I'm more important than that. And so I sent him a little question mark text and then he didn't respond and I sent him another question mark text and then he responds with like the really, really important thing he was doing and I felt like such a jerk. You know, like you should be glued to your phone as much as I am, right? You should be on Facebook and Snapchat nonstop. If we're really good friends and I text you, I expect to see those little bubbles pop up that tells me you're responding, like I'm watching it. Like, where are you at? Right? We, we communicate almost instantly, right? Um, think about how we consume content. We have this whole thing called on-demand content, right? Which means what? You can watch it whenever you want, wherever you want. Right, Netflix. It's like it doesn't matter. You just log on. You can watch whatever you want. And the what's the best part about Netflix? No commercials. Right? Ain't nobody got time for that. I can just boom to the next episode. There was actually a show that my wife and I really enjoyed that was coming out, and I was like, "Man, we should watch this. This new show. It's going to be awesome." And I kid you not, she said to me, "Well, why don't we wait a couple weeks?" I was like, "Wait a couple. The show started last night. It premiered. We can go on Hulu. We can watch it right now." She's like, no, no, no. I want to wait a couple of weeks. That way we can bank a few episodes so that we can binge watch it. So I don't have to wait. I don't ever want to have to wait for the next episode. <laughs> You're laughing, but some of you have done this. It's like on demand, right? And then shipping. Does anybody remember ordering something out of, I don't know, a catalog or whatever? And... and at best, it was like a four-week wait, maybe. Or, I mean, that was pretty normal. That was pretty quick for uh, some of us who are older can remember when it was even longer than that. Now we live in an Amazon Prime world. Two days, right? Two days. So one day for something. There's one day shipping. And did you know that they've been working on this for a few years, and, and they're still trying to work with the FAA to figure this out, but they're, they're working on drones, to ship so that you can get something to your house in 30 minutes. That's the goal, right? Some of you, like, you could be ordering something right now while I'm preaching and a drone is going to, like, fly in here at our church address and, like, drop it right here. Like, they haven't figured it out because there's some stuff with the errors they got to work out. But that's the goal is that you can have something in 30 minutes. And now, I'm not saying I want to go back to waiting (laughs) five or six weeks. I appreciate that the the two-day shipping stuff and all that. But what it's done, if we're not careful, we don't realize all of the ways that this quickness and this instant gratification have shaped our lives and and shaped our expectations. And it makes it really difficult to think about tomorrow. It makes it difficult to think about the long haul because you're used to being able to get something so quick. So we could put it this way. When we get what we want today, it makes it really hard to think about tomorrow. I've already seen this with Amazon. There are so many things that in the past I would have planned ahead and ordered ahead of time. But now because I know I can get it in two days, I just kind of forget about it. Don't really think about it. And it's like, oh, well, good thing there's Amazon. I can get it in time now, right? We don't think that far in advance anymore. And, and this instant gratification, not only does it show up in our finances negatively, but it can affect our relationships. Right? We expect things from people just like that. Expect them to fill our needs, to be there whenever we want to. I think it affects the way we care for our bodies, um, what we fuel, the one body that God has given us. This is the only one we get, right? How we take care of it, we, it's hard to think about tomorrow. It's hard to think about when we're older or whatever until we're there, and then we go, boy, when I was 30, I wish I would have. I think it, I think instant gratification has impacted the way we treat the earth. Um, kind of just spend it up, use it up, and don't worry about our grandkids or our great grandkids. I mean, that's kind of the future we're facing right now. And, and again, one of the places where I think this can be really damaging is with our finances. We, if we only are thinking about today and not tomorrow, we get ourselves in really bad places. And for a lot of us, I think 2022 is kind of the great revealer of that, or maybe the last couple of years. Uh, I think it's Warren Buffett, who's, who's, you know, the great investor. He said something about, you know, you see who, who is and who isn't wearing a bathing suit when the tide goes out? <laughs> don't, it, don't picture that too closely, okay? But it's when, it's when the hard stuff comes, right, that we go, oh, man, now I'm in trouble. Um, so a study from March of this year, 2022, said but 64% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck with no emergency savings. 64%. So if the water heater goes out, you've essentially got a few options. You can put it on a credit card and go into debt. We've already talked about the danger that that is over time. Um, you can beg your family and friends to help you out, which because they probably have a better interest rate than a visa. But still, you really want to be indebted to your buddies. You know, that never goes well. Or you can just go without hot water. That's pretty much your three options in that case if you don't have a, have a, a boiler fund, right? Now, um, before I say anything else, I wanna recognize that some of us are just doing the best that we can, right? All of us in this room are in different places financially. Um, you know, some of us are doing the best we can to just pay our bills. We're working extra jobs and picking up extra shifts and going to school and just like lucky to put food on the table. And like, I, I want you to know I understand that. I've lived that. Um, this is not in any way, trying to heap guilt or shame on anybody. So I I hope you hear that. And some of our lack of savings is simply because of the rising costs of things. It's kind of a weird time to give this talk, probably. Uh, I recognize that inflation is real. In fact, the title of the article, here's the full title, 64% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck as inflation heats up. And the article went through kind of groceries and gas and talking about how inflation was the main reason why 64% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, okay? Now, that might be true, but here's what's interesting to me. I preached this series six years ago, right? If you, remember, if you were here the first week, I told you this, this, a lot of these concepts I pre- first preached through six years ago. And so I got this sermon out on the plane, flying back home from St. Louis this week, and I'm going through, and I got to this point in the message, and I, it was kind of interesting. I thought, well, I wonder what inflation was in 2016 when I wrote this message. Inflation in 2016 was 1.26%. Anybody want to sign up for that today? 1.26%, like, that's awesome, right? We'd all take that right now. You should. You want to guess what the survey said the percentage of people living paycheck to paycheck in 2016 was? 63%. So it's 64% today as inflation heats up. And it was 63% six years ago when inflation was 1.26%. Are you catching what I'm pitching? Uh, this is not an inflation problem is what I'm trying to say. This is, it, it certainly causes it, right? It certainly pinches our savings. But I don't think we can blame this on the cost of things. And it's also not an income problem, uh, a study done in 2020 actually said that nearly half of people making $100,000 a year, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good chunk of change, right? $100,000 a year, half of them are living paycheck to paycheck. Some, and so some of us go, that's crazy. If I made $100,000, there's no way I would live paycheck to paycheck. Maybe. But 50% of Americans do. So I would suggest this isn't an income problem or a cost problem. This is a margin problem. This is a self-control problem that we've talked about. This is living for today and and gratifying our desires and not really thinking about tomorrow problem. And the Bible has a word for that kind of living, okay? And, And don't get mad at me. I've already said enough things that I'm probably gonna get emails about today. So like, please don't get upset about this. But the Bible has a word for only living for today and not thinking about tomorrow. Okay, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. It says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but what does it say? Fools. Fool, you said it, not me. Thank you. Fools gulp theirs down. The Bible says we are fools if we don't think about tomorrow if we just spend everything we've got, right, if, if, we just cons- if we go on that vacation because, man, I deserve it, or we buy that car, or we do whatever. Um, in St. Louis this week, I had to rent a car to get around, and I'm telling you, nothing makes your current car look worse than when you rent a car. <laughs> I always come home from those trips going, you know, mine's running just fine, but man, this is really nice, you know, and we do these, and we make these impulse decisions, or we go out to eat, and we do all these things, but what happens when tough times come? Because they always come, like, I know that right now is really hard and and inflation is up and gas price. I get all of that. But it's not like it's the first time this has happened. And yet it seems like most people in our world don't really learn to adjust to the fact that tomorrow might look different than today. And we live with zero margin. And so we live with very little sleep and a lot of stress. In another passage, the writer uses an ant as an illustration, which I was like offended by. I'm like, it's like an ant, Lord? You want me to learn from an ant? I think the ant should learn from me. You know, I was kind of like getting cocky about it. But he says there's something we can learn from the ant. And this passage includes the best insult I've ever heard in the Bible. I love this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. When's the last time you called somebody a sluggard? You just bring that back, man. I just, I, I want to start a petition that we use the word sluggard more. I just, it's a great word, all right. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. There's that word again, right? Be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, a ruler, right? Like nobody's telling the ant what to do. And yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So what does the Bible say is so smart about an ant? What can you and I learn from the ants? He says the ants are smart. They, they work hard, right? And they gather their food, but they don't consume all of it. They store some of it away. Why? Because the ant knows that summer doesn't last forever, that there's other seasons to the year. And some of them are not as fruitful as harvest time. And that some of what we consume Boom, that's gone. But man, we need to have some leftover. We need to have some margin. We need to have some more in storage for when things are less fruitful. And so this, this is the wisdom of thinking about tomorrow. And the Bible says that ants are pretty good at that. And that you and I should be like an ant. So when we're making financial decisions today, we need to think about tomorrow. So for example, um, let's, talk about, let's talk about college loans for a minute. This will be fun. You guys are so glad you came to church, aren't you? Yeah. So, uh, we're, and we're honoring our graduates in a couple weeks, so this is, feels like a good time to talk about this. When I was 18, I had all the answers. Did you? My parents didn't know anything. Nothing. So, they might have told me about this, but I probably didn't listen. So, uh, parents, maybe you want to nudge your young adult because they aren't listening to you either. So Amelia, you listen to me, okay? Don't listen to you listen to me, okay. Um, I was going to go to Indiana Wesleyan University. I was just going to do it as a out-of-state private Christian college because my pastor's son was going to go there and I had visited the campus and it was so nice and food was good and girls were pretty hot and I was like, this is going to happen. That's why you pick a college, <laughs> I mean, right? It was a Christian college, though, so it was, like, hot for Jesus, you know? It was was good. So I go there, and I don't regret it for a minute. I mean, it was a great experience. I learned a lot. It grew my faith in tremendous ways, supported my calling for ministry. Like, it was awesome. But I didn't really ask any questions about how much it cost and how all that worked. Um, Again, I'm sure my parents tried to tell me, but I didn't listen. And all I knew is they kept letting me come back. <laughs> so I'd come home in the summers and I'd work, and then lo and behold, in the fall they'd say, "Come on back to school." I'm like, "Yay, I can still take classes." And they just let—they kept letting me come. It was really nice of them. And so I just kept going to school. And it wasn't until I graduated I had what they call an exit interview, and you would sit down with your financial aid office and with uh, your your counselor that you know whatever in your department. And my eyes were opened to reality <laughs> because they teach you, you know, they tell you how to get a job and they ask you a little bit about your experience. You take some surveys, give them some feedback. And then they hand you this large manila, uh, manila envelope that says financial aid on the top. And I'm like, oh, they're still giving me aid. This is great, you know. And then I opened it and there's all of these spreadsheets and all this information about debt consolidation and here's how you combine your debt to pay it off. And, here's how and then they said, Mr. Klein, here's how much you owe. Plus interest. I was like, "There's got to be some kind of mistake here." I didn't, no one has ever mentioned this to me, you know. And I was a deer in headlights. Right? Eyes are. I'm looking at this thing now. Compared to today's average college debt, it actually wasn't that bad. Unfortunately, like it's way worse today than it was even then. But I was going to be a preacher. I don't know if you know this, but we're not high rollers. Like, we don't, like, you don't go into this profession to make bank. That's not how this works. I was like, I don't, I'm never going to be able to pay this off. And to be quite honest, the only way that I was able to pay it off is, and many of you know the story, but my parents passed away fairly early in life. And, and it was their inheritance, it was the money they didn't get to spend before they passed away that basically cleared that debt out of my life. Or I might still be paying that off Now. Now. Someone in my life knew how that worked. I guarantee it. But I couldn't be bothered to listen, and I didn't ask any questions, and I didn't seek wisdom. I was a fool. I just, whatever, you know, I just want to do this. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. Had I asked their wisdom, or probably better, had I listened to what was probably being said to me, uh, I probably would have went to a community college for a couple years, saved a bunch of money, lived at home with mom and dad, ate out of their refrigerator. Right, let them do my laundry. Even though I did that, even while I was in college, I would drive home three hours about every month or so. Hey, mom, my uh, I would have say I would have done things way differently, but I didn't. I didn't ask. I didn't seek wisdom from anybody. Right? Living like a fool hurts. It just hurts, and it gets us into so many bad situations, particularly. With our money. If tomorrow matters, we need to seek wisdom today. And especially, like, from those people who may be a little further down the road than us. Um, one of the things in my life that I'm, like, seeking financial wisdom from a lot of times right now is, is like, how do, how do you save for school for your kids? Or... I. I don't understand insurance at all. I'll just be honest, like I don't understand it. So I'm always like, can you guys help me understand this? And should I have a life insurance policy? Should my wife have one too if something happened to her? Like how does all this work? And I'm constantly asking from people who are smarter than me, people who are further down the road from me. I would, I would much rather learn from someone else's mistake than my own. <laughs> right? Because we, we've all made them. We could go around this room and be like, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done with money? It'd be awesome. It'd be funny. But, man, I'd rather learn from yours than to do it myself. Right? So who can we ask wisdom from? Who, who can we seek wisdom out? The first source, obviously, is Scripture. I mean, for some of us, the part of this series that's been the most eye-opening is just realize, man, the Bible talks a lot about this stuff. I had no idea. So, like, seek God's wisdom, obviously. But then also, like, who else? Who's, who's already at the tomorrow that I'm going to be at someday? And, and how can I learn from them? What could they teach me or show me? Okay, if tomorrow matters. We need to seek wisdom today. And not just on saving money, but in multiplying money. How do we multiply? How do we make more money? And again, for some of us, it's like, does the Bible talk about that? Actually, it does. It actually talks about making money. Um, so how do we make more money, right? Because for some of us, again, having more money doesn't necessarily mean you'll save more, but it would help. It would help. So how do we multiply our money? There's really only two ways to do that. Okay, way number one is we work more. Pretty self-explanatory? We want to make more money? We got to pick up a second job or we got to, you know, make that sale or ask for the raise or we got to mow another yard, whatever it is. Like, if you want more money, you have to work more. Unless your last name is like Walton or Hilton or something like that. And you got like a sweet trust fund coming your way, then whatever, you know, but the number one way to make more money is to work more. But the second way is we put our money to work. All right, first way is we work more. Way number two is we put our money to work. Essentially, this is the field of investing, right? This is about using your money in a way that multiplies it. And now... It may seem weird to talk about investing in church and I'm not a financial advisor so I will not be giving you investing advice. But again, I grew up in a church that the only time we talked about money in church was when it came to giving. That was it. That's all I knew about money was that the church wanted it. <laughs> and I do want your money. <laughs> I do. We talked about that last week, right? And I do want to get teens to camp and we need money to get teens to, Like, I get that. But the Bible talks about saving. It talks about spending. It talks about making money, investing money. So there's a few places. The one I wanna look at is in Matthew chapter 25. If you're on the Bible app, it's all in there, but if you wanna just bookmark it for later, Matthew chapter 25, a story that Jesus tells, and this is bigger than money, I understand that. This is way bigger than money, this story, but it, it certainly applies, okay? Matthew 25, verse 14, says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants to him and entrusted his wealth to them. Okay, the, the master entrusted his wealth to his servants. We've talked about this in the series, that your money is not your money. It is God's money. Everything we have has been entrusted. It's been given to us. To one, the master gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. There's a the key phrase. Put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Are you seeing the rhythm of the story? I gave him five. I gave you five more. gave him two. gave him two more. But then there's a shift, there's a turn in the parable. Verse 24, it says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I, I knew you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering what you have not scattered. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And he gives him the one bag back. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bank so that when I returned, I would receive it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Whoa. This is like, this is a harsh story. And a lot, like there's parts of this story I don't really like. I'm like, oof. But what is the, what is the point? Right, what is the point that Jesus is making? Well, this parable comes in the midst of several other stories. You can read it yourself this week. Read, read the other parables happening around this one. And Jesus is essentially trying to tell the people what the kingdom of God is like. Right? What, what is the kingdom like and what is considered faithful? Right? How, how is one to be a faithful servant of God? What does it look like? And what is the answer? I think what, what is this parable trying to tell us? I think the main point is that faithfulness in the kingdom is not measured in maintaining, just holding on to what you got, but in multiplying. It's, it's in growing what God has given you. It's that it's he's entrusted something to you, and the goal isn't to just hold on to it out of fear or, or to bury it or hide it, live out of what economics would call a, a scarcity mindset, right, where you're just so afraid and this is it, and there's only so many pieces of the pie, and I've got mine, and so I'm just going to hold on to it. But that you would learn to live open-handedly. You would have a mindset of abundance, and that you wouldn't just maintain, but that you would multiply. And again, this is about way more than money, right? This parable is about more than money, and so is this idea. I mean, there are talents God has put in you for you to use to multiply for his glory, He doesn't want you to just sit on and use for yourself and to waste, but he wants you to use it for his glory and to multiply his kingdom with it. All of us, with our time, we all get the same 24 hours a day, right? Like there's no, you can't add to that. We all have the same amount of time. How you invest your time, are you investing it just to kind of maintain the status quo in your life and in this world, or are you using it for his glory to multiply his impact? This parable and, and this principle is, is why I will never apologize for wanting to have a growing church. Um, church is weird. Pastors are weird. We have conversations sometimes, inside baseball type conversations about, you know, whether, you know, mega churches and big churches, small churches, and what's better. What, and I'm like, I, I just know I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. And according to this passage, the way I hear this is to not bury what I've been entrusted, but to multiply it. And so, I'm going to try to do everything I can with the God Spirit as our helper to multiply the impact of Mountain View Church. And I'm, I think that's what God would want. But, but what are you doing to multiply what God has given you? That's, that's the question. Not to just hold on to what you got. But to put it on deposit or as to put your money to work is what it says in verse 16. Because that was the difference, right? Three different sets of servants. The first two, he says, good and faithful, good job. And the difference between them and the last servant is that they put their money to work. Now, it doesn't tell us how they did that. It doesn't tell us if they, you know, invested it somehow. If, you know, did they buy a farm? Like what happened? We, we don't know. But what, what we do know is they gave back more than what was put in so there's two ways to make more money for tomorrow and to grow that margin. You can work more or you can put your money to work. But again, the goal is then to not spend everything, but to create margin in your life. Because guess what? With margin, man, you sleep better. Your relationships are better. Your marriage is better. Your anxiety and your stress is better. Like there's nothing in your life that won't improve with margin. But again, it won't just happen on your own. We have to put a plan in place. right? so here's this week's challenge. This is the last one. We've had a challenge every week, and uh, you guys have been doing awesome with these. But here's the last challenge of the series. I want you to start some kind of plan that will enable you to set aside three months' wages into an emergency fund, right? Whatever you make in a month, that you would multiply that by three, and you'd set it aside, and you not touch it, uh, so just for math's sake, if you make $4,000 a month, you're gonna to try to save $12,000 and not touch it, put it away. In fact, if you could even put it in an account that isn't super liquid, that you aren't tempted to like pull out anytime you need it, but that takes a few steps to get that money back, that'd actually be good. Because some of us, we just know ourselves well, right? That if we can get at it, we'll get at it. And, and that's a lot. 12,000 is a lot of money. You may need to jumpstart that a little bit. You might need to sell some stuff, Uh, Again, you might need to pick up a second job or run some DoorDash at night or whatever you need to do to start saving that. Um, You might need to eat ramen noodles for three months. Like go back to the college kid diet, Easy Mac, ramen noodles, Mountain Dew. No, 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 Mountain Lightning, right? Whatever the cheap version is. Mountain Dew's too expensive. You gotta go, is that what it's called? Mountain, I don't know, something like that. Safeway, there you go. Like, it takes sacrifice to do this. But, man, once you get there and you've got that margin built into your life, I'm telling you, you breathe so much better. Because winter is coming. For some of us, it's already here, right? 2022, maybe it was last year. It's the moment where we go, oh, man, I wish. And you can't do anything about that, okay? We can't go back and fix last week. We can't fix last month or last year, but we can do something about today in order to prepare for the next season, right? We can, we can harvest and we can store now so the next time this happens, we're ready. Okay. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wisdom. I would be a fool without you. And, and all of us, we could go around the room we could just share moments we've probably been pretty foolish, with our money, whether it was when we were a kid or when we were a little bit older. And I'm I'm so glad that there's grace. (laughs) I'm glad that there's forgiveness for a fool like me. But you don't want us to stay there. You don't want us to live like a fool. Your word is full of practical wisdom when it comes to things like our finances. I'm so grateful for that, Lord. I'm grateful that the Bible is not just some book that was written thousands of years ago that has nothing to say to the stressors of my day. It is so relevant and so real. So I pray that you'd reveal to each one of us, Lord, where, where, how we can multiply. What does that look like? How can we think more longer term, even when all of the forces of our culture are pushing us to only think about this moment and today and tomorrow? How do we think about six months from now or six years from now? What can we start doing now, Lord, that you would impart on us to, to pursue? Going back to kind of how we started the service, God, I pray that each one of us would be empowered by your spirit to be an agent of peace and life think of the writer who says that your vision for the church is to be a colony of life in a world of death may that be said of Mountain View may we invest in the next generation may we be people of peace and life where we uplift the dignity and value of every human being from, from the womb to the tomb We need you, Lord, more than ever. We need you. We pray this in your name. Amen.